1: message this morning is Spirit Refined Faith. A subtitle will be Faith's Turning Points. Our text is taken from Matthew chapter 17 verses 1 to 9. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah, talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. One of the things I miss about uh, being a dad, uh, my, my children are all grown up now, is driving my family somewhere where we can enjoy the, the scenery, you know. At one time, we were driving to Lake Tahoe, and I, I love listening to my kids and my wife doing their oohs and ahs as they were amazed by, by the, the views that they're seeing. But every now and then, I will step on the brake a little bit harder, and I would get their attention. And they will start saying, hey, Dad, be careful. Watch what you're doing. We don't want to get into an accident, do we? It's funny because as they were enjoying the view, they were not even paying attention to me. But as soon as something out of the ordinary takes place in that driving, then I get their attention. And then they come and even talk to me at that point. And I, and I shared that because that's, the, that's kind of how I am sometimes. Uh, you know, when things are great, I don't, I don't bother with God. That's true for me. I don't know about you. But when I get in trouble, uh, then I engage my heavenly driver, if you know what I mean. You know, sometimes I wonder what kind of faith, you know, I really have. And before you judge me, I want you to know that uh, it's a very common attitude among many. Does it feel to you sometimes that uh, you need more than just faith in Jesus? We know that's not true. We know we believe in our heart that faith in a gracious God is enough. But why do we often feel otherwise? Again, before you judge me and before you judge yourself, if you feel that way, consider the disciples of Jesus. Even those who were the closest to Him, they had the same problem as some of us do today. And why is that? What's wrong with their faith? What's wrong with our faith? Absolutely nothing. There's nothing wrong with our faith. It just, it had never had a turning point. There's nothing wrong with our faith. It just never had a transformational moment. The faith, the trust, the belief we are, we have, are there. But a transformational encounter with God had not really taken place, and consequently, faith can remain stagnant, and it could not make the necessary leap to be convicted or convinced by the presence of God. We may have faith, but we remain untransformed. And why is that? Now, here's the point of the sermon. I think the reason why our faith remains untransformed is because, for the most part, our faith is focused on results. Our faith is focused on what we want God to do for us, how we want God to deal with our circumstances and our situation, rather than to focus on what God is trying to reveal about himself through our situation. Listen, faith is not about results. It's about revelation. Revelation. Faith is not about results. It's not about seeing the things that we want God to see. It's about what Jesus is revealing to us every time we encounter situations in life that we couldn't understand or any situation at all we find ourselves in. We see that clearly in this story, the famous story of the transfiguration of Jesus. I love this story because it reveals so much about the kind of faith we sometimes have in God. And I often ask myself the question, why did the writer of the gospel, in this case, Matthew, why did he place this story here? So we need to understand a little bit of the, the, a little bit of the big picture of why this story is in this gospel. We're calling it the big context, the, the macro context. We understand that in the Gospel of Matthew and also with Luke, the main theme of those two Gospels centers on the fact that Jesus was sent by God to the nation of Israel to be her king. But the nation as an establishment, not the people, the establishment nation rejected him. And so Jesus set the establishment aside... And he will deal with them at a later time. And he focused his ministry on everybody, Jew and Gentile alike, who will come to him and trust him with humility. Now, that's the big picture of the gospel of Matthew. Now, let's take a look at the... Smaller context, the immediate context of this transfiguration story. Now, the transfiguration story is found in Matthew 17. If you want to know the context, you move back one chapter, and it's in chapter 16. And it's critical to understanding what happened in chapter 17. So you have to look at chapter 16. In chapter 16 of Matthew, verse 13, Jesus asked his disciples, Who do you say that I am? And of course he got varying answers some of them says you are Elijah uh some of them says some people say you are Jeremiah or one of the other prophets but Jesus said no 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 i don't i'm not interested in what what people say uh that i am or who i am i'm interested in who you say that i am and of course this is uh, the famous uh passage where peter declared to Jesus you are the messiah the son of the living god and jesus says right you are peter this did not come from you it came directly from god but did peter get it at that moment did peter really place his faith in that revelation that god has given him apparently not Because we find just a few moments later, Jesus and Peter had an altercation. Because Jesus said to Peter, I'm going to go and be crucified. And Peter says, I'm not going to let anything happen to you. And you know what Jesus said to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. Why? What What was the problem? Jesus was not calling Peter Satan. He was rebuking the attitude behind Peter's confession. He just confessed something that will build the church, and yet moments later, he was saying, I'm not going to let you die, Jesus. I'm going to be here for you. And that's an example of someone who has faith but has not been transformed. Why? Because Peter was still looking at results. He was not paying attention to the revelation that he just received. Loved ones, faith is not based on result. It's based on revelation. He had the faith, Peter did, but not the transformation that accompanies it. Jesus, my Father, revealed this to you, and you did not get it because you still want me to take care of your situation, your dilemma, your ordeal, rather than focus on what I'm really revealing to you about me. I came, Jesus says, to show you who I am. And you are going to base your faith on that revelation. And then Jesus said something interesting. This this is still on chapter 16. He said these words. He says, some of you will not see death until you see my glory. Some of you will not see death until you see my glory. Who is he talking about? Some. Among the 12, he's talking about Peter, James, and John. Okay? Those are the three guys that Jesus says, You will not die until you see my glory. And how did he do that? Six days later, as our text began in chapter 17, Jesus took them to a high mountain and Jesus was transformed into this glorious white being. And that was. God revealing the glory of Jesus literally to those three people. How did they respond? Well, Peter, Mr. You are the son of the living God himself, you know what the first thing that came out of his mouth after he saw this white gleaming glory of Jesus, you know what he said? Jesus, I got to put shrines in here. I got to put shrines. Jesus was probably thinking, oh yeah, finally you're getting it. You're going to put a shrine For me. And Peter says, no, I'm going to put three. One for you, one for Elijah, and one for Moses. What in the world? Did he get it? Did he see the glory? I don't think so. Who thinks of a shrine? And while he was still talking about building a shrine, building an altar to these three guys in his mind, a voice came from heaven. The voice of God himself. Right? And the Bible says, God says, this is my son. I am pleased with him. Listen to him. Did they listen at that point? I think not. And we will discover why. Because their faith was result based, not based on. Revelation. And that's true with a lot of people. You know, I had a, we had a church member a long time ago. I was a young pastor. We had a a church member who was very devout. Very, very devout. You know, a former, um, I guess she was a former nun or something. I don't, I don't remember, but she was just very devout and we would you know we would uh, have fellowship with her and one time she invited um, us to her house and we're going to have lunch and uh sure enough the table was prepared she had a she had her daughter there uh helping her out and uh, she asked us to be seated and uh, she started praying before we sat down i mean you know how she's a very you know very spiritual person And she started praying for the food and all of that. And the moment she said, Amen, we all started sitting down. And my friend sitting next to me accidentally hit the spoon and it fell on the ground. And without even blinking an eye, she called her daughter and she said, Sarah, get another plate. We're going to have a visitor coming. And I scratched my head. What does she mean? I thought we're the only ones coming here. I realized that she was very superstitious. And one of her superstition was, I mean, probably many of you are familiar with this, is when you are having dinner or lunch, when a spoon falls on the ground, someone will come. That's an example of faith in God mixed with error. That synch- synchronizing, rather, that synchronizing of faith and superstition. And that's kind of what we have going on here. You know, I mean, Peter and the, the other disciples, they weren't superstitious, but there was something wrong with their faith. They couldn't get past the, the, the results that they want. They couldn't get rid of the, the focus on results that they m- miss the revelation that God was trying to show them. Although the disciples placed their faith in Jesus they were still confused because their faith, again, is based on results and not on revelation. Based on what they want God to change in their situation, not what God wants to change in their soul. And so much of the emphasis we have when it comes to our faith has to do with results, the evidences of what God is doing or what we want Him to do or what He can do for us, rather than focusing on what He wants to reveal to us about Himself in our daily walk. So our faith encounters are often situational, not transformational. So the question is, how does faith transform us? This is the work and the guidance of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I have three points, as I always do. So how does, the, how does faith become transformational? Number one, faith becomes transform- transformative when, number one, our confession is validated by a changed life. I mean, that may sound basic, but that's something we need to really listen to. Faith becomes transformational when our confession is validated by a changed life. Let, let's revisit the verses again. Verse 4, Peter said to Jesus, Let, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And as we have established already already uh, in, in, our, in our message, Peter confessed to the to the nature of Jesus being the son of the living God. And in fact, the church was built on that confession. And yet moments later, Peter could not validate the words that came out of his mouth. He had faith in Jesus, but not as king of all kings, but king in terms of getting them out of Roman rule per se. His confession of Jesus is based on what he wants Jesus to be or what he wants him to do. Real faith transforms us on the basis of revelation about God. Our confession is only as valid as how much we personally know the revealed word of Christ. It's not validated so much by how much blessing we have it's not validated so much by how many answered prayers we have, how much miracles we see. It's validated by how Jesus' words change us from within. It's revelation, not results. Pastor, why are you so anti blessing or anti miracle or <laughs> Or anti whatever. I am not loved ones. I believe that God is God and He can do and will do a lot for us and everything. I, I, you know, don't misunderstand this point about me. I'm just trying to say faith has to be refined and it has to be refocused from the tangible to the intangible. The Bible is clear. It's better that you, you know, the better, it's better when things, that, that are not seen are within your heart so that you can have a stronger uh, hope and faith in God. I'm not anti-blessings. I'm not anti-miracles. I believe God is a miracle-working God. I do know one thing, though. And I want you to listen carefully. One thing is true. God has no problems showing us results. How many prayers has God really answered for you? Some of them you don't even know He answered. (laughs) Some of them you don't even, even take for granted. How many blessings have you received from God? A lot. Okay? How many needs have God met in your life? God has no problem giving us results. He does have a problem revealing Himself to us. There is a problem there. We're fallen people, and there's some kind of a barrier that has to be destroyed in order for our faith to be focused on what God is saying. If you doubt that word, just read the Bible. Read the Old Testament. How much God has rescued his people, have delivered them from captivity. I've read the book of Judges. You know what the book of Judges is about? It's about cycle of pain about, of the nation that turned into confession. God heard their cries and God sent them deliverance and after God sent them deliverance, what did they do? They rebel, and then they got punished for it and then they cried again and then God heard their cry and he gave them redemption again and then They forgot, and they did it again. It's a cycle. It's true. What about about in the New Testament? How many miracles does Jesus have to show his disciples? I mean, come on. You walked on water. You raised the dead. You multiplied bread. How many more miracles do they really need to be able to say, uh, it's you, Jesus. It's your word, Jesus. I mean, just examine this disciple, especially Mr. Peter himself. I'm gonna, I don't want to pick on him. He's one of my favorite disciples because I'm so much like him. You know, but I pick on him. This is a guy who says, I will die for you. I will kill for you. But where was he during the crucifixion? Well, he's, he's done denying Jesus three times. Where was he when Jesus was crucified? He was hiding somewhere. And when Jesus rose from the dead, where did Jesus find them? Hiding in the room. After seeing Jesus revealed to them, what did Peter say? Let's go back fishing. And then, as destiny and divine providence will have it, he obeyed Jesus' one final command. Stay in the upper room for 50 days. And you will receive power from on high. And man, the moment the disciples received the Holy Spirit, there was a staggering transformation. I can't believe it. Mr. Peter, hiding in the upper room, Received the Holy Spirit and he went down and preached and 3,000 people got saved with one sermon. Today, 3,000 sermons saves three people. Power. Not until the Holy Spirit grabs a hold of our life. Where our confession will be validated. And I'm not, I'm not uh, going to argue when you rec- receive the Holy Spirit, okay? There are many schools of thoughts, okay? All right? Some people say when you get saved, you receive the Holy Spirit. I'm buying that. Some people say you receive it after. I'm buying that as well. It doesn't matter when you receive it. It matters that you and I receive it because that's the power that will enable our confession to be validated And listen now to Peter, years and years later. It actually put tears in my eyes when I read this. First, second Peter, he wrote a letter. Second Peter, chapter one, verses 16 to 18. Listen to the words of Peter. Verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. But we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to Him from the majestic glory saying, This is my Son whom I love. With Him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with Him in that sacred mountain. That's a validation of his confession. And it came when the Spirit of God grabbed a hold of him. And I want to let you know, the Spirit can transform. It'll turn your mourning into dancing. It'll turn your fear into rejoicing. It'll turn your apprehensions and anxiety into great joy because He will declare to you and I the words of Christ Himself. They agree, the disciples agree, and we agree that when we are redeemed and the Holy Spirit comes, we can sing along with the prophets who say, Therefore the redeemed of the Lord Will proclaim, and they will come with singing unto Zion, and everlasting joy shall fill their hearts. They shall proclaim gladness and joy, and sorrow and mourning will flee away. Therefore, the redeemed of the Lord shall return. They will come with singing unto Zion, and everlasting joy will be upon their heads. Validation of Confession.
0: You've been listening to Living on the Rock Radio with Pastor Israel Lapson, a ministry of Living Rock Christian Church in Sunnyvale, California. As a listener-supported ministry, they are grateful for your tax-deductible donations at livingontherockradio.com. Living Rock is a church that doesn't care how you are dressed or what candidate you voted for, a church made up of imperfect people from all walks of life, with a hunger and thirst to understand God's plan for our lives. No matter what you've been through or what questions you may have about God and faith, you will find love, grace, and hope at Living Rock Christian Church, 675 East Taylor Avenue in Sunnyvale, with Sunday worship starting at 1030 a.m. More information at livingontherockradio.com.